Well, I add my uh, New Year's greeting to all of you. And um, as we um, get rolling here into 2020, we just want to give our attention first and foremost to the voice of God. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. As Ryan said, we're going to start a new series in two weeks. In the meantime, we want to give just a, a couple of weeks of attention to particular habit whereby God's grace is lavishly poured into our lives. And this, this habit being the habit of prayer. God uses means to stir us, inform us, focus our actions. Some of those means are his word. Some of the, those means include the stirrings of his spirit, which is a bit more subjective. Sometimes it's just the season of life that we happen to be in. Sometimes it is circumstances, um, unexpected or expected. These are the things that God uses to inform and, and focus us. Now, I'm speaking now on behalf of, of Ryan and Logan, myself, when I say that as elders, we believe that the next two to three years represent a very pivotal season. It's a pivotal time frame in the life of Emmaus Road Church. I think that'll become clear um, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, our mission is to make and multiply disciples who will impact the city and the nations for the glory of Jesus. Ryan already mentioned that. We have some strategic initiatives that we believe are part of Scripture, part of the stirring of the Spirit, part of the stir season that we're in, and part of the unique circumstances that, that we're in. These strategic Objectives, initiatives, uh, include, one, developing three to six additional ordained elders. Two, taking steps in order to plant a daughter church in our region. That might be locally, it might be a little further out locally, but probably no further than a hundred mile radius. We believe that uh, it's a time for us, a season for us to take steps in order to at least consider obtaining a permanent space for local worship and ministry. Fourthly, um, we believe it's time to take steps to prepare and perhaps deploy an international church planting team. And fifthly, God willing, uh, in the next two to three years, complete a, a seamless succession process between myself and the next senior pastor of this church. Those are five very, very significant targets. Um, they aren't the only things that we hope for. Um, our plans could be interrupted and adjusted. There could be other things that the Lord brings to our attention that we need to give attention to, but they do represent where we believe that God's Word and God's Spirit and God's providence are guiding us to give our attention, specifically in this next two to three year time frame. 
and steps are currently being taken to advance each and every one of those objectives. And it's really in light of these times and in light of these stirrings and in light of these objectives that we felt it right to call you, the people of Emmaus Road Church, to prayer, to more extraordinary prayer. It's not because we believe that praying more necessarily or praying harder necessarily will get us these things, but it's because we believe that God is stirring us to seek and obtain really more of Him, more of His fullness, to know Him more deeply, to to find more pleasure in His glory. And that is what we want above everything else. That's why we pray. So I want to invite you, we're going to give our attention now to Mark chapter 9, specifically verses 14 to 29. And in this chapter, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus, he takes a small group of his disciples up to the top of a mountain. And while they're there, um, God does this amazing thing by causing Jesus to be transformed into a blazing light. And as this happens, the disciples experience, they have this very personal, tangible experience of God's glory, and they see it, and they hear it in this spectacular and and supernatural way. And then having encountered this overwhelming, I mean, it's overwhelming to them, this display of power and God's beauty, the group comes back down the mountain, and in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, the author tells us what happens next. So follow along as I read God's word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him And greeted him, and he, this is Jesus, Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him 
into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the voice of God speaking to us through his written word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we read stories like this. It, it causes us to marvel. It raises many questions in our minds, hearts. We tremble at your voice, at your authority, at what you have said to us through Scripture. Just confess, Lord, um, I, I am so like those in this text that would say, I believe, oh, help me with all of the various ways unbelief continues to manifest itself, continues to reveal itself. Help me. Help me. So self-reliant, so independent, so susceptible to the sin of prayerlessness. And so we need you, Lord. We need you to give to us a gift. We ask you for the gift of intercession, supplication, prayer. Would you give us this gift whereby we would know the greatest gift? That is you and your glory and your nearness and the pleasure of communion with you. We're looking to you, Lord, for these things. We look to you today for you to communicate yourself to us through, through the truth of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what's going on in this text. You, you have a father. You have this father and his son. And somehow this boy had come to be controlled by an unclean spirit, a demon. The Bible teaches that there are, in fact, spiritual 
beings who can control and dominate human beings. Uh, Though spiritual darkness in our culture, in our situation, in our times, generally speaking, reveal reveal themselves in more sophisticated ways, um, this passage remains good news for people who may be experiencing some measure of demonic influence and affliction. And I pray that the dominion and the authority and the goodness and the love of God would fall upon each one of us today in Jesus' name with freeing and delivering power. Now that was the case with this boy. He had come to be controlled by an unclean spirit. Now, try to get your head around that. Try to imagine how tragic it would have been for this father. Uh, Imagine, hard to imagine, but uh, one moment your son is fine and the next moment he is slammed to the ground by this evil spirit, foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth, just stiffening out. Imagine how you would feel seeing the terror in your child's eyes not knowing why, what is happening to them. Not only that, it seems that the aim of this demon was to kill the child. According to verse 22, the father tells Jesus that often, often, often the demon would try to throw the boy into nearby fires to burn him or nearby bodies of water, lakes, streams to drown him. And we can hardly imagine the fear one would see as your son falls into fire or the panic as you run to get him out of some body of water. Uh, The despair as you pull him out, coughing, terrified look, as if to say, you know, why is this happening to me? And imagine the fear of knowing that your Son has a demonic being controlling him and whose intention is to destroy him. But now, imagine, imagine how you would have felt when you started hearing reports about the man Jesus. Jesus laid his hands on the sick and they were healed. Jesus commanded demons to leave people, and they left. Imagine the hope. Imagine the anticipation. Imagine the longing. Imagine the desire. You just got to get to this Jesus. So this man brought his son to Jesus with very high expectations. And when he gets there, however, Jesus is gone. He's up the mountain. But some of his disciples are there. And of course, it was also known, reported, that Jesus' disciples had cast out demons. And so this man would have expected them to be able to help his son. And we're not told exactly how this 
process worked its way out, but maybe one of them, Matthew, for instance, takes the lead and come out of him, but, but nothing happens. In Jesus' name, come out of him, but nothing happens. And then maybe Andrew takes a whack and nothing happens. And then Philip and Andrew try together tag team and nothing happens. The disciples tried but they were not able to get the unclean spirit to leave the boy. And the question is, why? Why could not the disciples cast out the evil spirit? Is it because um, they weren't supposed to cast out evil spirits? That was just for Jesus to do? Well, that can't be the reason. Because in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, Jesus appointed twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So, their inability here in Mark 9 to cast out the evil spirit was not because they were like breaking some rules. Jesus had deputized them to go out with his authority in his name, blessing, to preach, to drive out unclean spirits that were harassing and hurting people. And in fact, that's exactly what they'd been doing. And they'd been doing it successfully. According to Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, so they went and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons. And anointed with oil many who were sick. And healed them. And so, so Jesus' disciples were experienced in casting out unclean spirits. They were successful in casting out many demons from people. So it can't be because they just didn't know what to do. Or perhaps the reason they couldn't cast out this particular evil spirit was because, like, in this case, it wasn't God's will. You know, in the grand scheme and under the umbrella of God's sovereign wisdom, other people were delivered, but God had other plans for this particular boy. But this can't be the reason either. And that's because not very long after this incident, Jesus comes and casts out the demon. So it's not part of God's mysterious providence that this child would remain under this affliction. Look again at verses 25 and 26. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. So, why couldn't the disciples cast out the evil spirit? And the reason the disciples could not cast out the evil spirit was simply because they did not pray. Verses 28 and 29. The disciples asked Jesus privately, 
why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, Jesus' point is not that they'd like sort of miscalculated, misjudged what kind of spirit they were dealing with here. It's not like, you know, there, there are some kind of demons that, that require prayer, and then there's other kind of demons that don't require prayer. The, the disciples didn't, you know, walk away saying, oh, it was one of those kind. You know, we, we, we kind of got to keep our heads in the game here from, from now on. That, that is not the point. Jesus' point is that they had not prayed. Think about that. Jesus' disciples had not prayed. If they had prayed, the unclean spirit would have come out. But because they did not pray, the unclean spirit did not come out. It all comes down to their lack of prayer. If they would have prayed, the demon would have left. If they would have prayed, the boy would have been healed. If they would have prayed, the father would have been overjoyed. If they would have prayed, the crowd would have been praising God. But because they did not pray, the demon did not leave. Because they did not pray, the boy was not healed. Because they did not pray, the father was left in agony. Because they did not pray, the crowds just all agitated and disputing Fighting it out with each other. You see how messed up things can get if we do not pray. So, what does this teach us about prayer that can shape us, help us to grow up as disciples of Jesus? What does this teach us that could affect our spiritual community in this, what we sense is a pivotal next two to three years. And and here's what I believe is the main lesson, in a nutshell, to be learned about prayer from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Listen. Lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. Say it again. Lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. Now, we could misunderstand this and think the disciples, you know, they just, they just, they, they just didn't pray long enough. But the disciples' problem was not that they didn't pray long enough. Jesus didn't say, this kind can come out only by lots and lots of prayer. Pray, pray about it three times a day. Have an all-nighter if you can. Get everybody to join you. The, the problem is, is not that they didn't pray long enough. The problem is, is that they didn't pray at all. We could think that the disciples' problem was that they just didn't pray well enough. If they were just a little bit more passionate, 
pray like a Pentecostal, man. Bring down the fire of God. Or, you know, get your theology straight, you know, so that you're praying the right words. Then God will answer prayer. But Jesus does not say this kind can come out only by passionate prayer or proper prayer. He says this kind can come out only by prayer. Their problem was they didn't pray at all. We could think that the disciples didn't have enough faith. You know, if they just had a little bit more expectancy, they should have had more faith. Then they they would have been successful with answered prayer. But Jesus does not say this kind can come out only by believing prayer. In fact, even the boy's father, he didn't have particularly strong faith. In verse 24, it says, I I believe, but help my unbelief. We we can locate ourselves right there, can't we? We believe, but oh, oh. No, the problem wasn't little prayer or incorrect prayer or weak prayer. The problem was No prayer. And lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something he otherwise would do. Could we say that together? I'm I'm confident that this, this is a point that we just need to have settled in our hearts. Let's say that. Lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something he otherwise would do. Now, maybe that's a new thought. Maybe that's a troubling thought. (laughs) Um, What what helps me is is just when I stop and I I just think about prayer in general. Um, The Bible teaches that God answers prayer. We'd all agree with that, right? Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. So if that's true, that if we ask, it will be given to us, it must also be true that if we do not ask, it might not be given to us. God wanted to give it to us. He would have given it to us if we had asked, but because we did not ask, He did not give it. So, the the truth that God answers prayer cuts both ways. It encourages me that God will do significant things, powerful things, wonderful things, if I will pray. But it also sobers me that if I don't pray, then God may not do those same significant, powerful, wonderful things. Things. So do you see how important prayer is? I, I don't know about you, but do you ever find yourself tempted to think that everything's just going to be the same whether I pray or not? It's just going to be the same. No, no significant difference. Do you ever find yourself thinking, well, the health and well-being of Emmaus Road Church, 
It'll be the same whether I pray for it or not. Or the witness of our missional community. It's going to be fruitful or not fruitful whether we pray or not. Or our experience of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. It's going to be the same whether we pray for it or not. Or our power over some sin or some stronghold in our life. It's going to be the same whether we pray about it or not. Or the growth and depth of of your marriage. It's going to be the same whether you pray about it or you don't pray about it. Or the faith of your children. It's going to be the same whether you pray about it or don't pray about it. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. So, as an example, if the Lord is the one who makes us increase and abound in love for one another, would it not make sense that if you prayed for the Lord, To make your love for your spouse, or your love for your children, or your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, or your love for your unbelieving neighbor, to increase and abound. That it would increase and abound, and grow deeper and richer and stronger, rather than getting stale and diminishing and go dead. Everything will not be the same whether you pray or not. And that's because, and let's say it again together, lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. So, in our church, in your discipleship huddle, in your marriage... Say it again. Lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. In your proclamation of the gospel, the fruit of your witness will not be the same as whether you pray or not because, say it, lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. Your experience of the Holy Spirit, your power over sin, will not be the same whether you pray or not because lack of prayer can cause God to hold back from doing something He otherwise would do. Now, I think we need to be careful not to let this put God in like bad light. Think about this again. Um, God has said, ask and it will be given to you. He has said, um, one of my favorites is Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in your day of trouble and I will deliver you. God is a merciful God. Generous God. Kind, compassionate, powerful. But now, if we don't ask or if we don't call, and God does not give or doesn't deliver, that shouldn't put God in a bad light. The problem is not something with God. The the problem is that we didn't pray. So that raises an important question. 
Why does God place such importance on prayer? Why, why doesn't God just go ahead and just do everything whether we pray or not? Let me give you a couple reasons why I believe God chooses to operate this way. The, the first is this. Prayer gives us the joy. It, it gives an occasion to experience joy, the joy of seeing God's glory. We see God work. We see His power. We see His compassion. We see Him active. And last Saturday, it was a week ago yesterday, our a friend of ours, and some of you know our friend Rick Gamash, Rick slipped on ice. He landed hard on his head. And there was laceration uh, to the skin. Um, immediately there were concussion-like symptoms, severe headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting. Um, he was taken to the hospital. A CAT scan showed bleeding on his brain. He was hospitalized last weekend, and then uh, after a few days, um, as these symptoms diminished some, he was rushed back to the hospital this past Thursday because the symptoms returned with a vengeance, and um, the CAT scan showed that there was still bleeding, and there was, in fact, bleeding in other parts of his brain. So this is real serious stuff. So um, many of us were praying about that. I found myself stirred to pray uh, late Thursday. I, I, I haven't been sleeping well myself because of various things, but uh, I was up late into the night, just stirred to pray for Rick and, and early into the wee hours of Friday morning. And, and uh, I, I was calling on the Lord Friday afternoon and evening. And then um, after our prayer gathering yesterday morning, I, I, I got this word, I got this email saying... When we got to the hospital this morning, so that was yesterday morning, I'm sorry, yes, when we got to the hospital yesterday morning to visit Rick, he was sitting up, alert, looked 100% better than he had the past week. He even walked to the bathroom on his own strength without dizziness or throwing up. The bleeding is still there, but the explosive pain is gone. He is sleeping peacefully for the first time since the accident Thank you for your prayers. All praise to God. So, here's a situation where we could not have, you know, maybe we didn't pray. Could have not prayed. And perhaps um, things would have just turned out the very same way as if we had prayed. Headaches gone, nausea gone, equilibrium restored. But, it's different, right? Our joy over that news, our joy, our relief, our sense of, yes, God. Um, it would have not been in God. It would not have been in the Lord. We're just relieved. But we did pray, and we did call on the Lord in Rick's day of trouble. And when that relief did come, our joy was in what God had done. 
Our, our joy was in the glory of His kindness and His mercy and His power. Prayer gives us, you can think of dozens and dozens of examples like this, of prayer giving us the joy of experiencing God's glory. There's a second reason I think that God operates this way. and It's just another dimension, really, of the same experience of His grace. But prayer gives us the joy of entering into God's very presence. Communing with Him. Maybe you've had a brush with fame. Um, that is getting close to somebody who's like a celebrity, somebody who's well-known, somebody who's famous. I, was, uh, I remember once teaching a group of sixth graders about worship, and, and I asked them if they'd ever been up close and personal with somebody really famous. And I was astonished at uh, how many kids uh, they had either talked to or they had gotten an autograph from or they had a selfie taken with with, with people, you know, pe- people like Tom Cruise or Jim Carrey or uh, Hannah Montana. I mean, I, I'm asking them, oh, what was that like? And they just, man, they just lit up. Uh, it, they were in awe of being with this famous person. It was just so, it just um, filled them. And I could relate. I, I, a number of years ago, I had this uh, surprising opportunity to get to meet and shake hands with with Kevin Garnett. I, I, I mean, I was so excited that I, well, I mean, it was, a, it was quite a moment. And, uh, um, and, and after just a few minutes of hanging out with the big ticket, you know, he, he um, I, I mean, I could tell that uh, along with being, you know, immensely tall and, and like a world-class basketball player and ridiculously wealthy, he, he was, um, he's still just a dude. You know, I, he, he was funny sometimes, and he was just <laughs> not so funny and nasty in other times. He's cool at times and had a temper at times, and he is, he's got good days and bad days like me, and for the most part, you know, he's just like the rest of us. But there is one who is larger even than Kevin Garnett, and more competent, and more loving and more wise, and more understanding, and more powerful, and more consistent, and infinitely so, and than anyone else on this planet, and to get close, to come near, to enjoy his presence is the greatest pleasure we can ever know. Psalm 1611 says, in God's presence is fullness of joy, and we enter his presence through the act of prayer. And, and the reason that God puts so much importance on prayer then, I believe, is because, because of our joy in Him. Our pleasure in Him. He wants to fill us with the joy of seeing His glory. He wants to fill us with the joy of experiencing His presence. And I believe that God does most of what He does in response to prayer because He is passionate about us experiencing the wonderful grace of seeing Him and knowing Him and communing with Him. So how should this affect us? Well, think about how it affected Jesus' disciples. 
I mean, we could say a lot of things about this, but let me just mention too. The, the disciples, the way this affected them is that it, they put other priorities aside so that they could pray. They, they put other important things, regular things, good things, aside, or at least lower on the priority list so that they could pray. We get that in Acts chapter 4, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They, they put other things, significant things, aside so that they could give themselves to this greater thing. The importance of, of prayer should be so great that it shifts our schedule. It, it shifts our work plans. It shifts our sleeping plans. It shifts our eating plans. It shifts our vacation plans, our leisure plans. Loved ones, January is such an excellent time because everything's all goofed up already because of the way the holiday falls. And, you know, the, it's just an excellent time to recalibrate schedules. Put things in order so that we have the space to hear God's voice and to know that we have God's ear. So pray together at home. Make a plan for that. Recalibrate for that. Pray together in your missional community. Pray together in your discipleship huddles. May it not be said, they just didn't pray. They didn't pray. Typically, a couple of Saturday mornings a month, a group of us gather to pray right over here in the prayer room. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. It goes by real fast because Jordan Strand does such an excellent job of guiding us and leading us. We pray scripture. We pray for Emmaus Road Church. We pray for needs that we're aware of. We pray for our family of churches. We pray for the mission of God around the world. We recalibrate our schedules and we pray, and I just encourage you to do the same thing. Recalibrate your schedule and pray with us. And I want to invite you to join us to do this, not just because, like, man, it would just be so cool to have lots and lots and lots of people pray. I ask you to pray because we love the glorious grace of God, and we love the, the presence of the Lord, and we we're entering a very pivotal season these next two to three years in the life of our church. And we long for more of the fullness of God, more of the fullness of the Spirit, more of His presence, more of His wisdom, more of His life, more of His sin-restraining power. Another practical way that this might affect us is just the reality that in, you know, learning from the disciples of Jesus, is that they just prayed about everything. And we see this in the New Testament. According to James chapter 1, verse 5, they asked for wisdom. According to Luke eleven thirteen, they asked for more of the Holy Spirit. According to Romans 10, 1, they prayed for others to be saved. According to Ephesians 3, 16, they prayed for one another to be spiritually strong. According to James 5, they prayed for healing. According to Acts 4.29, they prayed for courage to share the good news of the gospel. 
They prayed for the advance and the progress of the church and the kingdom of God, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to mention those, those five things that I, I said at the outset. We're asking God to give us another three to six ordained elders. Elders are a gift that God gives to the church. They come from Him. We ask Him. We're asking God for a daughter church. We're asking God for a permanent home. We're asking God to make us a blessing to not just this city, but to the nations. And we're asking God for a strong and stable leadership for the future. So join us. Join us in prayer. Think of the joy and pray about everything. On this first Sunday of the month, it is our custom to give particular attention to Jesus' saving work on the cross. I think it's significant for us on this day to think of a text like Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 and following where it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have confidence to engage with God, since we have confidence to commune with the Lord in prayer and worship, it's by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the ground by which we engage with God in prayer. It's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We practice an open communion here at Emmaus Road Church. I'm going to invite you in a few moments. If you just come down the center aisle, there's two stations. There's the bread and the cup, symbolic of what Jesus did. His body broken and His blood shed. And as we hold these things, we're proclaiming yet again, Jesus died for my sin. He died for sins. As we eat and drink, we're proclaiming that He died for my sins. And so if you are trusting Christ Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, what He has accomplished, His perfect life, His sin-atoning death, and you trust all of His promises that have been secured by His death, including the promise of eternal life, we invite you to join us. And so I'm going to pray, worship team, come, and then you can make your way to these tables. Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you. Spirit of God, thank you. You have planned together. You have worked out together this way by which your people can come to you and enjoy you and behold you and experience you and your nearness, and all that you are for us. You've, you've made this possible through your death, Lord Jesus. We exult in you. And again, 
Thank you for your word and how you would instruct us and show us your way. We want to be a people who are moved and motivated by your glory. And so would you, uh, would you open our eyes and would you open our hearts? Would you communicate yourself to us in this time that we have together now and through this, the, these symbols of your death? We love you, Lord. We love you. Hear our cry for more of you. We pray these things in your name.